I want you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. It's so funny, I just noticed on my outline here that I put Hebrews chapter 1. We'd been in Hebrews for long, uh, but I knew where I was at, but I just caught that there. Have you ever heard the phrase, timing is very important in everything? Timing is everything is basically the saying there. Brooke Hayes, who was a U.S. representative from Arkansas, liked to tell the story of a prisoner who received this letter from his wife. It says, honey, she's writing her husband in jail. I'm just lost without you. I don't know when to plant the potatoes, and I can't even plow the garden to plant the potatoes. The prisoner, her husband, wrote a letter back to his wife and said, Honey, don't worry about planting the potatoes, but whatever you do, don't go anywhere near that garden spot and please don't dig in it because that's where I've buried the money. She wrote back, Honey, I think someone is reading our mail because the day after your letter came, four FBI agents showed up and dug up every square inch of our garden and they didn't find any money. He wrote back, Now, darling, plant the potatoes. All right. (laughs) Timing is very critical with God. Timing's critical with God because have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't begin his ministry when he, well, when he was 18 or when he was 21 or maybe even when he was 25? Why did he wait until he was 30 years old? Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says, When the time was just right, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, to redeem us from the law. Jesus waited until he was 30 years old to launch his public ministry, and he begins his ministry by being baptized. So beginning with Mark chapter 1, let's begin reading with verse 9. It says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan with John, or by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with with you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness and And then we'll pick that up following in the next few weeks. So why did Jesus have to be baptized in the first place? He never sinned. He didn't have to repent of his sins. But in John's gospel, he says, when Jesus approached John and said, John, I want you to baptize me. John said back to Jesus, oh no, I'm not worthy to baptize you. In fact, you ought to be baptizing me. And so Jesus pleaded with John and said, John, You baptize me, and I must be baptized to fulfill all righteousness, which means I need to be baptized because it is the right thing to do. Now, as we think about the baptism of Jesus, let's talk about the topic of baptism today. That's why we are Baptists, all right? That's part of our name. And today we're going to learn how we got our name and why and where we get our name from. So number one on your outline, let's talk about the meaning of baptism. So what does the word baptize really mean? The word baptize, it means to submerge, to plunge, to dip. It's not a original religious word. Originally, it wasn't a religious word at all there. 
In fact, it was a common word in the Greek language. It was a, a word that would the Greeks would use to describe someone that would take a piece of cloth and put it in some kind of dye and change the color of the cloth to look like something different, a different color. Or you could see the ladies go down to the local river and they would dip their dishes into the river to wash them and they were baptizing their dishes there. They were washing their dishes in the river. Through the years, the word baptize has come to mean something strictly religious. When, to, when it was to begin with, though, it was just an ordinary word to plunge or to dip. In the Bible, there are different kinds of baptism. In fact, if during our Hebrew study, we discovered in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, it says, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. So at the point that you come to know Christ, you are a babe in Christ. You are just getting the, just the, the milk. But Jesus says as you grow in the word and as you grow in his way, that you begin to get off of the milk and you begin to get into and begin to grow and get into the meat. And he says, they're the not laying against the foundation of repentance from acts that leads to death and of faith in God. In other words, he's saying as a Christian, once you become a Christian, you need to begin to move on to maturity and not keep rehearsing over and over again repentance and faith. Our new president of the Southern Baptist Convention, his name is J.D. Greer. J.D. Greer has a book, a study that's entitled Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. And the basis of his book, the basis of his six-week study is the fact that, that some of you, every time you come to church, you feel lost and you just, every week, you just keep asking Jesus into your life. What he's saying is, if you've invited me into your heart, you've invited me into your life, then you need to stop asking that and you need to move on to maturity in Christ Jesus. So J.D. was referring to the fact that you can know, that you can know, that you can know that you're saved. That's what J.D.'s saying there. So let's look at number one, under point number one, and let's talk about the instructions about baptism. To become spiritually mature, you need to understand some other things. Number one, do you know the different, that there are different baptisms in the Bible? Number two, do you feel like you understand what the Bible teaches about laying on the hands? In other words, what, we're, what the Bible says, and Jesus says that you need to mature. Number three, here's another question. Do you know about the resurrection of the dead? What If I ask you to stand up and explain to us here in this room what's going to happen at the resurrection, the first resurrection and the second resurrection. And then you begin to say, Preacher, I don't have a clue. I don't know what you're talking about. Here's another one. What do you know about the eternal judgment? There are some things, church, that we need to learn as we mature as believers, as Christians there. If you take a concordance and you go through that concordance and you just look at the New Testament only, you're going to discover that there are at least seven different kinds of baptism or the uses of the word baptism in the New Testament alone. Seven different Kinds. So I want us to look at that. Number one, there is John the Baptist baptism in water. 
Now, here's the John the Baptist baptism. Now, John the Baptist was in water, was not a Christian. His baptism was not a Christian baptism because those who were baptized by John later had to undergo a Christian baptism. It was a baptism for repentance there. So, number folks, if I spent just the whole sermon on that, we could do that. Instead of two and a half years through the book of Mark, it could be three and a half years, all right? So number two, Jesus' baptism in water. There's another baptism mentioned. There was Jesus' baptism in water that we just read about. His baptism was not John's baptism because he did not need to repent. It was not exactly a Christian baptism. It was, like, it was unlike anything before and even after Jesus was setting an example. Number three, Jesus' baptism in suffering. The Bible talks about Jesus' baptism in suffering. Now the word baptizo can mean to be overwhelmed by something, to be covered up. In Luke chapter 12, verse 50, Jesus said, I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Then he said to James and John, he said, you two guys are going to be baptized with the same baptism. When Jesus died on the cross, he was literally immersed in pain and suffering. Number four, the Jews' baptism in the cloud and in the sea. Now, what in the world is that talking about, the cloud and the sea? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2, the scripture talks about, mentions, what took place in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were coming from Egypt and they were heading to the Promised Land. And as they went through the Red Sea, it was a picture of baptism. Though, you know, they... uh, uh, It's really funny. Uh, I must have been uh, having my my, uh, uh, talking on my app uh, there while I was doing this because all of a sudden... I'm talking about Jurassic Park right in the middle of here, there, uh, there. Uh, it is un, un... In fact, it even asked my grandson, do you need a biscuit today? So it's in my notes here. Uh, if only there. But when the children of Israel was... how that happened? Oh, man. Oh, man. When the children of Israel, when they went through the Red Sea, it was a picture of Jesus' baptism, uh, going to represent baptism there. And so, and we know that they had a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night there. And so when they were, it was a, another baptism mentioned. Number five, there's another one, baptism in the body of Christ. This is what the Bible calls a Christian's baptism. In other words, into the body of Christ, into the church. The church is the body there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, For we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body. The moment you are born again, the moment you accept Christ, the Holy Spirit of God baptizes you, immerses you into the body of Christ. There's a sixth baptism, and that is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And here, that is the Christian's baptism in the Holy Spirit, is we know in verse 8 where it says, There I baptize you with the water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It appears, this is is mentioned in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's also mentioned twice 
in the book of Acts. And Jesus says, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was talking about what happened on the day of Pentecost. Then later it happened to the Christians at Samaria. It also happened to Cornelius. And so when a Christian is totally immersed and filled with the Spirit, he is living in the very life of God himself. And then number seven, baptism in water. There is a Christian's baptism in water. When we say baptism, it isn't what most of us think about water. We think about going into a baptistry and being baptized. Last week we baptized Ava, but in Acts chapter 2 verse 38, Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now that's the word baptize, and it means it refers to much more than simply being dipped in water. Now we're going to focus on a Christian's baptism in water. But before we do that, let's talk about the misconceptions about baptism today. There are some strange ideas going on around about baptism, and I want to I hope to clear up at least two misconceptions this morning. Number 1 misconception under your point number 2 is baptism is necessary for salvation. Misconception number one, baptism is necessary for salvation. Some believe baptism is necessary for you to be saved. There's a group of people who love Jesus and are very committed to God's word who are convinced that you must be baptized in order to go to heaven. They really love Jesus and they believe the Bible and they're convinced of that. But the truth of the matter is baptism is necessary for fruitfulness in your life and blessing, but it is not necessary for you to go to heaven. Understand that. You, to be baptized is going to help you in your walk and encourage you, and, and there's fruitfulness that comes out of that. But you do not need to be baptized necessarily to go to heaven. What is necessary for you to go to heaven when you die is that you must repent of your sins. You must place your faith in Jesus. And you must make him the Lord of your life. That's what it means to be saved. Now, I spent the summer of 1981 in Sioux City, Iowa as a summer missionary. There basically was the position. Do you remember in the 90s, early 90s, when a DC-10 jetliner lost its uh, engine in its tail and the hydraulic system ceased working and it guided down, the plane guided down to a crash landing in Sioux City, Iowa in the early 90s. Do you remember that? They made movies out of it as well. Movies there were about 20 to 30 minutes from the time that the, that the plane lost its tail, its engine in its tail until they landed. If you remember when the plane landed, it flipped onto its side and then it turned into a fiery inferno. As it was sliding down the runway into a nearby land, it finished landing in a nearby cornfield there. It was a miracle that only about 70 of the 300 passengers were killed. Eyewitnesses on board the plane said from the time they learned 
that there was going to be an emergency landing, that they had lost their, their engine in, their, in the tail of the plane there, that there were eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses said that there were grown men, people who were literally on their knees on that plane, praying and begging God to save them. Now imagine there was this tough-nosed businessman on board and on that airplane that day who had never had time for God, but he's heard about the gospel. And let me just say, it's hard to live in America and not hear about the gospel. But say he had lived, he lived hard life, was a good businessman, but had never said any, never approached the, the question about inviting God into his life. But on the way down in that airplane, he bows his head and he says something like this. God, I know I'm a rotten, dirty sinner. I had no time for you in my life and now I know I'm wrong. I repent of my sins and I turn from my sins. And Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the son of God. Right now, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and make me a Christian. Then he's one of those unfortunate 70 of the 300. When the jet flips over, he dies and he stands before almighty God. What do you think is going to happen or transpire in the conversation between him and Almighty God. Do you think God the Father is going to look at him and say, I see you repented of your sins. I see you placed your faith in my son Jesus. But oops, sorry, no baptism. You're out of here. Do you think that's what's going to happen? Do you think God's going to do that? No, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, it doesn't say anyone who calls on the name of the Lord and be baptized will be saved. Salvation is not achieved by works, church. In other words, it's only by the grace of God and our faith. That's why Nathan led us in a great new song, hymn about grace there. And I'm not saying that baptism is not important. If you want to be fruitful in your life, you want to have the blessing of God on your life, you should be baptized. That's what the scripture says. But he says, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments, Jesus said there. There's another misconception, number two. Baptism is not necessary for salvation. Some people say it's not necessary for salvation or they say it really doesn't matter how or when one is baptized. That's the better way to put it this morning. I want to say that I'm not preaching against any group of Christians today. I'm not I'm just preaching about what I believe the Bible says and what is the Bible doctrine today. We all know that there are many Christians who say, you Baptists, you Baptists. They're always pointing their finger at me when they say, John, I know you Baptists out there, you baptize by immersion. And we don't, and that's okay. It doesn't matter how you do it. They say that to me all the time there. Then they say, you Baptists, there goes that finger again, you baptize only believers and we sprinkle little babies. And it doesn't matter, John, when you get baptized. So what is the truth? What I believe the Bible says or what they believe that the Bible says there. Ask yourself, how did any group start sprinkling 
when Jesus was immersed. How did that begin there? And why do we immerse when other denominations do not there? To answer that question, I've got to give you a quick study of church history this morning. You ready for a quick study? Okay, without a doubt, the early church in the book of Acts baptized believers by immersion. There's no way that you can read anything else out of the book of Acts in the early church that they baptized when they baptized, and they baptized daily there. It was by immersion only. For the first 300 years after that, there were there was no church buildings. Did you know that? They didn't have to worry about the air conditioners going out, okay? There, the church was a family that met in homes, and so the church moved from house to house, and then they would gather in public places for worship services. They had their baptism services in lakes and rivers and any other kind of public water places that there was there. But in the year 313 A.D., the Roman Emperor Constantine thought he saw a vision of the cross in the sky with the words, by this conqueror. And so that gave the edict of Constantine making Christianity the official religion in 313 A.D. Now some people say he Christianized paganism. God never wanted it to be an institution. He always wanted the church to be intended to be a family. But when an institution comes official... And with it comes officials and rules and regulations when the institution takes place. And you've got to do exactly this way or that way when you're part of an institution. So the church in Rome became the most important church and the pastor of the church at Rome became the most important pastor there. It came to the point where he became infallible. He couldn't, he couldn't sin anymore. He, he didn't make any more mistakes. And he, you know what his name was? He was called the Pope at that point in time. That's how it all got started. And then there was the break off of the Greek Orthodox Church several years later, and the first churches to come out of that system built buildings and baptistries where believers were immersed. Biblical architects have discovered that baptistries in the shape of the cross where the believer would go down into the baptistry and be baptized by immersion in the shape of a cross. Our, our baptistry is not in the shape of a cross. It has the cross up there, but it's not in that shape there. But as the church grew, the doctrine developed, and they said salvation is only through the church, and the only way you get into the church is by being baptized. They had to make this more efficient, so if they were going to evangelize the world, and to them, the baptism was sacramental. It was a sacrament. So how are you going to baptize a stillborn baby? How are you going to do that? Or how do you baptize a man gets run over by a wagon? How are you going to baptize him when he's laying there dying? So they developed a system where a priest would take some sanctified holy water and he would go out and he would sprinkle the water on a stillborn baby. He would sprinkle the water on that person who was dying. There are even incidences recorded where a priest standing before a group of soldiers baptizing all of them with just a few drops of water. You're now part of the church. There. Several hundred years later, the church entered into the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages, it was called the Dark Ages because there was no light of Scripture at all. 
Only the educated priesthood knew what the Bible said. The common man, common woman didn't have a Bible, couldn't read it. Their common man didn't know what the Bible said. And so because of that, there were some strange things began to develop, some really weird, preposterous beliefs. Then in the 1500s, that's the 16th century, a group of educated Christians in Germany suddenly began to read the Bible. A fellow named Johannes Gutenberg developed the printing press, and so books no longer had to be transcribed by hand. Have you heard the story of the old German guy who moved to America and said to the president of a theological seminary, I opened a a trunk that was up in the attic the other day of my great-great-great-granddaddy, and I found an old Bible, and I think it was one of, it was a a Gutenstein or a, a Gutenberg and something like that, and the eyes of that seminary president got about that big at that point. And he said, what did you do with it? And the guy said, well, it wasn't worth anything because some old guy by the name of Luther had handwritten all over it, and so I just threw it away. Now, once they started reading the Bible, men like Martin Luther and John Calvin and John Knox said, hey, there's something wrong here. Something was rotten in Rome because of what they were saying. The priests were saying it is not what the Bible says. And so a movement called the Reformation began to take place. The reform of the church began. This Reformation was, was based on three great principles. Solo scriptero means only scripture, not tradition, only the word of God, only. That's pretty good, right? Then there was the solo gratia, only grace. Salvation is by grace and not by works. And then there was the solo fada, which is only faith. The word of God, grace, and faith. And these men began to change the church. Of course, the Catholic church excommunicated them and kicked them out, and they began their own churches. Luther started what is now the Lutheran church. John Calvin, John Knox started what is now the Presbyterian church. The only problem with these reformists is they didn't take it far enough when it came to baptism. The Lutheran church, God bless their hearts, they love Jesus and and I love them. I know some Lutherans that are now Baptists here, but they still sprinkle their babies. In the Presbyterian church, many of them do it that way also. About a hundred years later, a group of Christians read the Bible and said, hey, something is still wrong when it comes to baptism. We believe the scripture says it ought to be by immersion for believers. So these people started baptizing adults who were believers. They began to dunk them there. Now they, that, they experienced such great persecution that they were called from Protestants who called them anti-Baptists. Baptizers again is what that meant. They said these people were already baptized. They were sprinkled when they were babies. You are rebaptizing them. The anti-baptists said, no, we aren't rebaptizing them. We're baptizing them scripturally. So then in 1609, King James, son of Mary, Queen of Scots, said, I want everybody to have a Bible to read. So he commissioned 54 Greek and Hebrew scholars to translate the Hebrew in the Old Testament and the Greek in the New Testament into an English Bible. When those 54 men came to the word baptized, they were in a pickle. And here was the pickle. What if they put the word immerse there? 
what would they be saying? They would be saying, now wait a minute, King James, you've not been immersed. You've not been dipped. You've just been sprinkled as a child there. So they couldn't translate it sprinkle because there's another Greek word for sprinkle. It is rantizo, R-H-A-N-T-I-Z-O was the Greek word for sprinkle. They couldn't translate it pour like you would pour water because there's another word for pour and that is luo in the Greek there. So they copped out. They didn't translate it. They transliterated it, baptized. There was not an English word baptized until the 16th uh, there, until 1611 edition of the King James Bible. Elsewhere in the Bible, the word bapto, they correctly translated. When they said Jesus took a piece of bread and dipped it in the juice and gave it to Judas. He baptized it. The King James says he dipped it. Revelation chapter 19 says Jesus comes with a robe dipped in blood, comes back dipped in blood, baptized in blood. In the Septuagint, it says old Naaman in Second Kings dipped himself seven times in the Jordan River, baptized there. Sometimes they translated it correctly, but other times they copped out and they transliterated it, baptized. Without the doubt, without a doubt, the word baptized means to dip, to plunge. That's why we're called. Baptists. I guess they did us a favor in a way, church. You know why I believe that? How would it sound for us to call ourselves the dippers? <laughs> would you come and come visit us over at that first dipper church there, over there on Center Street there? Or it would be even a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, it could sound worse. I go to the first plunger church. We'd be a bunch of uh, plumbers in this church, you know, plungers going there. And so in this church, we got our big dippers and our little dippers. Amen? And then if you can't say dippers, you say drippers. We got our big drippers and our little drippers there, okay? Now, that's how the tradition in the practice of sprinkling babies began. I know that is a condensed version, but I got to finish this morning. If anyone can find anywhere in the Bible, and I'm going to say this with, with all my heart today. If, you, if anyone can find anywhere in the Bible where an infant was ever sprinkled for baptism, I would love for you to show me because I have not found it anywhere. Now, what I just shared with you, I believe is true to the Scriptures and true in church history that I've studied for many years. Now, there are, those are the two misconceptions. But here's the truth. Scriptural baptism is for believers by immersion. That is what I believe is scriptural baptism. So I ask you this morning, have you ever been scripturally baptized? Scripturally baptized there. Sometimes when people tell me they, that uh, they must be baptized, they say, oh, I was, I was sprinkled as a baby. When I ask them, Do you, are you ready to be baptized? They may have just invited Christ into their heart and they'll say, well, Preacher, I I don't need to be baptized because I was sprinkled as a baby there. That's not scriptural baptism as we understand it. In fact, or someone says, when I was a child, I made made some kind of decision at church camp and I was dunked later on. They brought me back and, and I got dunked. And later on, though, I discovered that I was lost and I invited Christ in my life and I was saved there. Let me just tell you, you haven't been scripturally baptized as well. The sequence is out of order. It is always salvation, being born again, 
and we believe in an instantaneous conversion. It's not something that you got to work for. There's a point in time when you pass from death unto life when you are born again. The Bible teaches that you are to be baptized after salvation. To be baptized before salvation is like burying someone before they died because baptism is a picture of a burial there. And then I'm, motives. I've got to move on. Number three, your motives for baptism. Number one, it's got to be obedience. Why would someone want to be baptized? For the same reason Jesus wanted to be baptized, obedience. Jesus said to John, I'm going to be baptized for righteousness. It is the right thing to do. What if the Bible had said instead of repent and be baptized, what if it said repent and as a sign you're a Christian, run around your church seven times singing hallelujah? Do you know what I would have done? As soon as I understood that's what the Bible said to do, you would have found me running around the church seven times singing hallelujah there. And when I thought I was losing my salvation during the week, you might catch me running around the church singing hallelujah again. But the Bible doesn't tell us to do that. But I would be doing that out of obedience. I wouldn't have to understand it. I'd just do it. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us once we are a Christian to run around the church seven times. It says once you invited Christ in your life, you're a new believer, a new creation in Christ, there you then need to be baptized. It is an act of obedience. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I tell you to do? Sometimes people say they don't understand the Bible. Have you ever thought that God is not going to reveal any more light on His Word until you start obeying the things that you have light about? Already understand there. Simple things. Just obey. Last week we talked about keeping it simple. Simple things there. Number two, it's about identification. Another, another motive for baptism is identification. Because you are, when you are baptized, you are identifying with Jesus Christ. He was baptized. We identify with Him by, by our baptism. Our baptism identifies us with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why immersion completes the picture. If you don't have the right picture, you don't have the right meaning there. Some people say it doesn't matter, the picture, as long as it's a picture. That's kind of like you asking me to see a picture of my new horse colt, and I pull out a picture of my chocolate lab, and I say, any picture will do. That's exactly what it says there. I was going to use the example that, that you would like to see what my I take my wallet with me to Africa, and they said, we'd love to see a picture of your wife. And I just pull out a picture of my horse colt. Now, any picture, old picture would do, but I just want you to know, I didn't want to use that example because my wife is close over here <laughs> with a hymnal. All right? Don't want that at all there. But some people say it doesn't matter how, how you picture it as long as there's water involved. No. The picture is burial, being buried with Christ, raised to walk in a brand new life. Every time someone's baptized, the gospel is preached. What is the gospel? Christ died for our sins, was buried, and was resurrected on the third day. Church, I've got to say this this morning. I think this might blow your socks off because when I, I never thought about it quite like this. We live in a town of 5,200 people, don't we? 
It just depends. Maybe, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. But the last census, 5,200 people. I look forward to the day that when at least 365 times a year the gospel is preached through the baptism. Did you get that? When I got that this week, I, I, I began to cry, number one, because I've never prayed for 365 salvations, baptisms, preaching of the gospel in a year. Have you? It says that they were added to the church daily. Why is that changing? You say, well, it's happening all over the world. No, why is it not happening in our church? You know why? Because we're not sharing the gospel during the week. I can just tell you now that AJ did because she, she led art to the Lord. I get, I get phone calls from folks telling me, preacher, I got to tell you, I led so-and-so to the Lord. Bonnie, when you led Bill to the Lord, that was a great day. Great day. But let me just tell you, it's not, it's not just these two ladies. It's not just me. It's not just Nathan. It's not just your church staff. It is every one of us. And you look at this room. That would mean about today that if all of us led two people to the Lord this next week, we would get about 300 or so baptized. Whew. Folks, I just want you to know, I long for the day. Our church is the kind of church where the Lord is adding to it daily. Every time we baptize, the gospel is preached. And then third, it's your testimony. When a person's baptized, it allows you to testify to everybody who watches the baptism that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard the phrase profession of faith? We say it a lot around here. When does a profession of faith actually happen? It can happen in many ways, but I want to tell you, it's not necessarily walking down the aisle and saying, I've invited Christ into into my heart. It's not necessarily filling out a card, telling the church that you've done it. I believe the profession of faith occurs in the life of a Christian when they stand in the baptismal waters and they say, Jesus is my Lord and I want to follow him. I take God as my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my guide. That is their confession of faith. It's not a, it's a, it's a testimony. Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. Let me tell you why I, why I believe what happens every time a believer is baptized. Anytime a person is baptized, this is what I believe happens. That person says that Jesus is their Lord. And up in heaven, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the God the Father. And he turns to his Father and he says, Father, did you hear that? That one just confessed me. And now I gladly claim them. I gladly claim her. I gladly claim him. Doesn't matter. I confess that person to you. Do you notice what happens when Jesus, did you notice what happens when Jesus was baptized? God said, you are my son who I dearly love and I'm really pleased with. And he does the same thing when a believer gets baptized. Our greatest needs are to be accepted, loved, and be approved. That's our greatest needs as a human being. We find all three of those when God the Father said, I believe when you obey the Lord in baptism, God the Father looks at you and says the same thing that he says about Jesus. This is my child. I accept you. 
I dearly love you because you've been obedient to me. I'm proud. I'm pleased with what you've done. Ooh. And can you imagine seeing it done 365 times in a year? Why don't you bow your head? If you're listening on the radio, you can invite Christ into your life right now. Just before we go off the air. If you're here in this room, you can do the same thing. I would love for you to come and take me by the hand and say, I'd like to, to invite Christ. I believe He died on the cross. I believe He was buried. I believe He rose from the dead. I want to make Him. I'm sorry for my sins. I want, him to make, I want to make Him the Lord of my life. You can do that in just a few moments. But then there's some of you here that have the sequence of baptism all out of whack. You may have been baptized as an infant. And now, I always tell someone that comes from a background where they were baptized as an infant and they give their life to Christ. And they say, well, why do I have to be rebaptized? And I say, we've got to get it in the right sequence of order. So maybe you're here like that. Or maybe you did something. You walked the... You went at camp or you came during a revival or just during a regular church service and you thought you did something, but you know later on that the Holy Spirit convicted you that you were not a child of the King and you got it right. And you've not ever been baptized since then. You've got to get it in the right order. You've got to get it. So I'm going to ask you, are you willing to do that today? Are you willing to step out of that aisle where you've been sitting for months and maybe years and know that you need to be obedient? Would you be willing to do it today? And then for those that are here in this room, maybe you just need to say, Lord, put someone in my life, put someone's name on my lips to begin praying for by name every day and help me share the gospel with them. And let me be part of seeing 365 souls come to know Christ. Added to the church daily. Oh, wouldn't that be great to see? I don't think it's I don't think that's too difficult for God. It may be difficult for us in a town of 5200, but not for God. And you can do all things through him who gives you strength. So whatever God's t- talking to you, the Holy Spirit you say, man, I feel weird, preacher. That's the Holy Spirit talking to you. Respond. If nothing else, come. The altar's here. Pray. Ask God to show you what He wants you to do. Father, we come to you today and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we pray that, that today, as we study the book of Mark, how important it really is that, that Jesus' example of baptism, what it really, really means. And help us to digest the things that we've just learned as we mature in your grace and knowledge. And so, Lord, this is your time. We beg you to move today in the hearts of your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand this morning.